it's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We're coming to you this morning from the press box at Ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. Mr. Tate, how are you doing this morning? Very good. Rainy day here, a rainy day in central Illinois, I'm told, as well. And uh, it's supposed to rain all day long, I think, in both locations. We just looked at the radar, and it looks like it's uh, settled in for this uh, Saturday. 100% chance here uh, by game time. I think it's 100% chance right now. How does this change the game, Steve? Well, Purdue leads the Big Ten in passing yards per game, 325. So that's the first thing that comes to mind if, if it's going to be a slick ball on a wet day. Uh, but that they'll still try to pass the ball. Well, no yes, sir, they will try. Because they, they will, don't have a good running game. They will not only try, they will definitely do it. But, uh, you know, I don't know how that would overall. It will, it, you would expect more of a low-scoring game, wouldn't you? You would think so. Their running game generates only 59 yards a game on average, so uh, Illinois would have the edge there if it turns into that kind of game. But Illinois will play an entirely different defense. I bet you they they might even change a linebacker today to get an extra defensive back in there uh, because this is the opposite of yes. what they faced last week where, you know, you go into a game, and, and I thought Lovey said it just right, said Wisconsin gets off the bus running, Purdue gets off the bus passing, and that's what they want to do, and that's what they're going to do. And Purdue's doing it with a freshman quarterback after Sindelar went down earlier in the season. Uh, Plummer is the quarterback now, and he's got some pretty good stats. Jack Plummer uh, completing uh, 60% of his passes. He's thrown nine touchdown passes and over uh, just almost 1,300 yards. This is Brom. This this goes right to Brom because he's he just makes any passer an effective passer. Now not every game they haven't won every game they lost a, a bad one to to uh, to Vanderbilt and they you know they're two and five coming in but they will throw the ball and they're gonna they are a favorite today. I I was surprised to see the thing go up from eight points to nine and a half. Now that, that yesterday Illinois was a nine and a half point underdog. Yep, that's what it is uh, this morning at least at this point. Purdue is two and five. On the season, one and three in the Big Ten, same Big Ten record that Illinois has. The Illini, with that win last week, up to uh, three and four on the season. This is a bowl game for both teams in a way. Yeah. I mean, doesn't no guarantees, of course. But if Illinois wins this game and then could beat Rutgers next week, they'd be five and four, and then you've got you got to be seriously thinking about it. But uh, and the loser of this game will probably be uh, out of the bowl business. There are four games, including this one, with the early start today. On this uh, last Saturday in October, Wisconsin, ranked 13th this week, is in Columbus to play Ohio State. Badgers are a 14-point underdog there. Rutgers playing at home against a non-Big Ten team, Brian Barnhart's alma mater, Liberty, hmm. is a seven-point favorite over a Big Ten team on the road. Well, that doesn't <laughs> speak well for Rutgers, does it? Nothing much speaks well for Rutgers. They've been kind of the... Last place in the in the league in basketball and football ever since they came in. 
I mentioned uh, Liberty, and Brian Barnhart gave me two fist bumps here in the uh, booth <laughs> this morning. He'll be watching that score as we uh, work our way through his game and our game. Number 20, Iowa, 10-point favorite at Northwestern. Then this afternoon, uh, number 6, Penn State, is at Michigan State. Indiana is at Nebraska. Maryland plays at Minnesota. Those three games at 2.30, and then the marquee game, I guess you would say, tonight on the uh, Big Ten schedule is a non-conference game, but it has number 19, Michigan, at home to number 8, Notre Dame. And by the way, did you see that score last night? Colorado uh, almost upset USC. USC rallied and won 35-31, to 31, I believe it was. When Notre Dame plays Michigan, I root for a 0-0 zero, zero tie. I don't know what I root for, but I, I go with Michigan because I, I root well, for just yeah. about anybody against Notre Dame. But uh, Absolutely. But uh, that's the uh, Big Ten lineup today. Our lineup of guests includes Tom Deanhart from uh, the Purdue Rivals site. He'll join us here in the booth at uh, 8.15-ish. Jay Lehman will do the same. He's working the game on uh, BTN today. Former uh, U of I volleyball coach Don Harden will join us at 8.45. We'll talk a little more about Mike Hebert, the passing of Mike Hebert earlier this week. Will Leach at 9 o'clock to talk about. I know he'll have some thoughts on that big Illinois win last week. We'll talk uh, Cardinals and the World Series, and those two don't go together, by the way, but the, we'll talk about <laughs> the Cardinals and the World Series. And then about 9.15, Brad Underwood. Had a chance to visit with him uh, yesterday for a few minutes, and we'll play that uh, interview about 9.15. You know, that uh, that World Series game last night looks like a pretty clear uh, win for Houston, but Washington was rallying against Grinke every inning, five consecutive innings, and they took out Grinke with two out in the fifth inning. He couldn't, he didn't even get the win because he didn't finish the fifth inning, but they couldn't get the, they couldn't get him in. You know, they, they they just couldn't get that big hit with two men on. Was his pinch pitch count high or what? Well, he was they were hitting him, Steve. Yeah. They were they were they were but, threatening. But they, they weren't scoring. No, but they were they were they just hit a double. They had runners on second and third in the fifth inning. And they could see after after five consecutive innings of the way they were, how hard they were hitting the ball, that they knew they were, you know it was just about ready to break through, and uh, so they went with a bullpen from that point on. And uh, and, and Grinky's uh, pitch count might have been up because it probably was when you have that many base runners, sure. but uh, they were threatening, 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 and they just couldn't uh, break it through. Houston wins it four to one. Washington still leads the series two games to one, and uh, game four coming up uh, later today. Ohio State and Illinois play volleyball tonight. Tough week for the Illini, tough road trip. They were in all those matches, and uh, that one at Penn State the other night kind of hurt uh, more so than the others, perhaps, after, well, you, yeah. after you win the first two sets. Well, yeah, and then you have four four chances to win with mm -hmm. just one point away and, and couldn't get the point when they needed it. And uh, so that's uh, kind of the lineup today. Let's run down a couple of high school scores for you. If you miss those and if you don't get them uh, or hear the one you want this morning, check the News Gazette or NewsGazette.com. The uh, scores are there. Centennial, another loss for the uh, Chargers. Bloomington, 54-6 to over Centennial. Peoria Manual and Champaign Central are scheduled to play today at 1 o'clock in Peoria. Normal West beat Urbana, 63-0. Prairie Central over St. Thomas Moore, 52-20. Monticello 35, St. Joe Ogden 6. You surprised by that one? Well, I I, I thought Not that, that Monticello won. had a good chance to win. I didn't know they'd win that decisively, but that's that's a good win for Monticello going into the playoffs. Yeah, this is week nine of the uh, high school football season, the last week, so the playoff pairings will 
come out tonight. Monticello's defending champions. There you go. They are till they're not, right? That's right. <laughs> Unity beats uh, Bloomington Central Catholic 27-7. to Arcola 57, Decatur Lutheran 26, Argena Oriana over Blue Ridge 63-14, Bismarck Henning Rossville Alvin beats Seneca 28-0, Georgetown Ridge Farm and Westville play their big rivalry game at 2 o'clock this afternoon, Gibson City Melvin Sibley, another uh, defending state champion, beat uh, Deer Creek Mackinac 19-0, Watsika 48, Iroquois West 7, it was Fisher 55, Leroy 36, PBL 41, Dwight 21. Danville scored 35 points in the third quarter and rallied to beat Peoria Notre Dame 49-42. Muhammad Seymour over Peoria Richwoods 18-17. Those are some of the uh, high school scores of the area. Uh, again, if you didn't hear the one you wanted, newsgazette.com is the place to check those out. Phone line is open. We'll take our first break here on the Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk and be back with more after this. Join us for the Lovey Smith Radio Show from Papa Dell's Pizza Factory Monday night, 7 to 8. We'll take a look back at the Purdue game. Look forward to the game with Rutgers. That's Monday night, 7 to 8 on DWS. Welcome back, everybody. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk from Ross Age Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana on the campus of Purdue University. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Going to talk this game over with our friend Tom Deanhart from the uh, Purdue Rival site. Good to see you again, Tom. How are things? Good, good, real good. I got to know, on your guys' drive home tonight, are you going to stop at the Beef House in Covington? Well, we, we did we that should... on the way over. Oh, you did. So you already got that checked off your list. Well, I'm still the, full. <laughs> we did it on the way over, and uh, history dictates at times we've done it both ways. So I don't know what the, what's going to happen this afternoon. But we got it out of the way for sure. Yesterday, so I, th- I think that uh, is something. Ed Bond's car just automatically pulls in there. <laughs> Maybe you have something to celebrate driving back today. Who knows? We'll see. What do you think about this game? Oh, uh, you know, Vegas has, I think, Purdue minus nine. A little surprising to me, given, of course, what unfolded last week in Champaign. Um, you know, Purdue talking to Lauren before he came on the air, as you guys are probably realizing your research, is a young team. It's a team that's had a lot of injuries as well. Uh, from week to week, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. So uh, Purdue's very much a work in progress. Well, I, I was looking at the uh, starters for the season, and, and, it, and you've got uh, so many different changes in the offensive line and also at linebacker. Yeah. Are these mainly injuries? or? Yeah, yeah, Lauren. Defensively, the two best players are out. Lorenzo Neal, a big senior defensive tackle. Uh, he hasn't played all year. And Marcus Bailey, a, a linebacker, fifth-year senior linebacker, he, he got hurt in practice after the second game of the season. He's out. So, again, um, yeah, the, the reason why these youngsters are in is primarily obviously because of injury. And both sides of the ball have been impacted. Of course, quarterback Elijah Sindelar hurt his clavicle against Minnesota right here on this field on September 28th. He may come back later this year. And, uh, Ron but if Dale, he Ron, does, Ron, is Plummer the quarterback? Yeah, you know, I think, I think it depends on where Purdue's at record-wise. If they're rolling, I think it'd be hard to take out Plummer. Of course, guys, the big one's number four, right, for Purdue, Rondell Moore. He got hurt on the very same play as Elijah Sindelar in that Minnesota game, one of the more bizarre scenes I've ever seen on this field in all my years. And I grew up in this town, went to school here, and been going to games for over 40 years. And just surreal moment, guys. And, of course, Moore, hamstring issue. Jeff Brom just says, you know, he's trying to get back on the field. We Hopefully he'll get back at some point this year. You mentioned getting hurt on the same play. Was it a pass play to him? Were they involved in the same same yeah. situation? One on one side of the field and one on the other. But yeah, interesting. Steve, you're exactly right. It was about the 40-yard line. Uh, 
Sindelar was rolling to his left, looking for more. Moore sort of hyperextended his knee, collapsed. Sindelar had to recock the ball. As he was recocking the ball, somebody came up behind him and sacked him, landed on his left shoulder, broken clavicle. So you're right. Wow. Just, just a crazy scene, crazy play. Here's my question. How does Brom do it? Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Doesn't matter who the player. He just completes passes. I mean, what is it about his <laughs> passing game? I don't know. You know, he came here with that reputation. Um, did a good job at Western Kentucky. This is a bigger stage, obviously. Uh, and uh, he's a guy who knows his X's and O's. He's 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 a uh, he's a good quarterbacks coach. You know, he was a quarterback coach at Illinois. You guys yeah, yeah. know that 2010, mm-hmm. we 2011, yeah. under Ron Zook. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, you know, he, that, that, that's sort of his area of expertise. He's, uh, he's a very intense coach. He, he's, a, he's a coach who's hard on his quarterbacks and demands a lot. And I think a lot of times the players rise up to that demand level. What uh, Now we expect rain today. What does that mean on this uh, Bermuda grass here? It doesn't look to be very high. It looks to me like it's, it's cut really low. Looks Did nice. You know, there was a time in the 80s when this was the only grass field in the Big Ten. Yeah. They've never put turf in here. And they always talked about prescription athletic turf, and they've got pumps underneath this field right. that extract the water. So hopefully you got that great will drainage, help. huh? Yeah, great drainage. But so if it's raining at the very time, well, yeah, I mean that's obviously you're not going to be able to extract the rain if it's coming down at that very moment. So, yeah, I imagine the forecast today, from what I saw, is only going to get worse in the second half. And who who does that impact more? I'd like to know. That's what guys. I want to know. And Illinois wants to probably run the football. They're more of a ground team, so. Maybe they have a little harder time getting footing, and Purdue's going to want to pass it. If you guys looked at the stats, Purdue's running, rushing attack, second worst in America, yeah. 129 out of 130 schools. So they're going to want to pass to set up the run, but they just can't run the football, guys. Can Illinois cover Purdue's wideouts in space? Will they slip and fall? We're probably going to see some big plays today with, just I, because of mistakes. And I mentioned to Steve earlier, I, I, I would expect us to pull a linebacker and put an extra safety in. Oh, I, would, yeah. I suppose they'll play just the opposite of what they did last week against Wisconsin. <laughs> you talk about a 180, Lauren, you're right. You could play Wisconsin in a phone booth. They want to bang you up. You're going to have nine guys in the box trying to slow down that physical ground game where here comes Purdue seven days later. They're going to play, you know, three or four wideouts, empty backfield, and and make you defend it horizontally and vertically. So you're right. Uh, quite a contrast for that Illinois uh, Illinois defense from week to week. Interestingly enough, on that uh, line of uh, thought, it was Wisconsin putting the ball in the air last week that yeah. uh, that hurt them late on that uh, third down play. And so sometimes teams do things they don't normally do. But I, even though Jonathan Taylor had fumbled earlier, I would have been giving the ball back to him all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all-time great. He may be the best running back they've ever had, and that's that's saying a mouthful. It is. I mean, yeah, I mean, Lauren, Lauren would know better than all of us. Ron Dane. Ron Dane. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, I think he left college as the all-time leader in rush. You're right. But Jonathan Taylor, boy, he's a special guy. And like you said, Steve, why not keep feeding the rock to him? Sometimes coaches maybe try to outthink themselves, and that certainly cost Wisconsin. I'm going to switch on you. Basketball. Mm. What's the right Purdue there. basketball team look like? <laughs> you know, I think everybody's kind of wondering, what, with Edwards gone, who yeah. takes over? Yeah, that that's going to be a, a big uh, – you know, issue working that offense out, who's going to be their go-to guy. You know, when the shot clock was winding down, you could always throw the ball to Carson, and he could make something happen and get a shot off, and a lot of times make that shot. It's still a veteran team going to be led by its defense, I think, Lauren. Nogel Eastern, Evanston, Illinois, one of the better defenders in the Big Ten. Seven-foot-three Matt Harms is a rim protector. Yep. Travion Williams, they're going to play him a big guy, maybe in tandem with Harms. Oh, they're going to play them both? Yeah, that's the idea. They want to go big, and, and they're both pretty mobile, so they're not going to be plotting guys like Isaac Haas. So 
If you look at the preseason prognostications, if you believe those, Purdue's a third or fourth place Big Ten team, probably a big dance team. Going to be, a, I think, a pretty salty squad, but I'm not sure, guys, if anybody's going to be able to catch Michigan State this year, though. Well, I, that's true, although Langford being hurt again yeah. this year, it makes me wonder. And, and they got beat by 15, I think about 15 points by Gonzaga in that secret game that they played in Denver. So, I, you know, I, I know that Michigan State's the best, but I also think that they're both. Illinois beat them last year. That's right. <laughs> Can that's you right. believe that? I mean, you never know. Yeah, you know you know who the happiest guy was when Gonzaga beat him by 15, right? Oh, Paul Klee. No, De- Tom Izzo. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Just you know exactly. Coach, <laughs> yeah. Coaches love that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're going to lose a game, lose a meaningless ex- exhibition game, yeah. you that's can get right. your players' attention. Purdue's got their game, their secret scrimmage today with providence so where um you know i can't remember the venue exactly where they're playing that at um but, but it's, not here huh? no it's not here so that's the uh that's Purdue's secret scrimmage coming up next friday november 1st they have an exhibition game uh in in ross and in, in mackey arena so the lid's being taken off here very soon and before we know it guys this place will be buttoned up and Mackey Arena will be hopping. Well, Illinois is playing South Carolina tomorrow out there. And then when the game is over, the op- Frank's going to be talking to the Illinois team and Underwood's going to be t- Frank Martin. <laughs> and, and Underwood's going to be talking to the South Carolina team to tell them what their shortcomings are. Of course, you know, they're big buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know They're it, on the same staff. Yeah, you know, basketball is fun. And, again, that's that'll be here soon. Uh, again, this Big Ten West race, I don't know, guys. Can you, can you really gr- put your head or, or wrap your mind around the fact that P.J. Fleck in Minnesota may be in Minnesota, maybe in Indianapolis playing for the Big Ten Championship in December. Well, I, it's, it's hard to figure. You know, what's unfair about this is the scheduling with the East. Yeah. It's not equal. And I've thought that if you're going to have two divisions, maybe you should have – maybe those should be decided by just the games within those two divisions. Just a thought. I know nobody's brought it up. But, yeah. I, I, you know, if you play, let's say you're, you're – Let's say you're I, where was kind of whoever, and you play Penn State and Michigan. That's not, you know, and and Ohio State. That's not fair if if the other teams playing Maryland and Rutgers. You yeah. know, look at look at who Wisconsin had to play this year. They had Michigan and Michigan State, and they got Ohio State today. Those are their three cross division games. And what if Wisconsin loses today? That's two Big Ten losses. Minnesota has a home game with Maryland. They're probably going to win. They'll have a two game lead over Wisconsin. But if Wisconsin beats Minnesota, they only have to tie them in the league. Yeah, that's the key. They got them. Minnesota has to, us to play Iowa and Nebraska. They have to play Iowa. They already played Nebraska. So who knows? You know, a lot of times teams lose games they don't anticipate. So it's going to be very interesting to see if for a second year in a row the Big Ten West sends sort of a non-traditional football power to Indianapolis after Northwestern went last year. It was funny when, when Illinois was at Minnesota, that was three or so games ago, they were already talking in Minneapolis about being 8-0. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it turns out they might be, and they probably will be. Yeah, yep. after after day 8-0. And uh, I know P.J. Flex, an Illinois guy up in the Chicagoland area, old northern Illinois Husky. And you know what? Three years in, um, you got to give him credit. He's, he's done a nice job. Yeah, he's, he's recruiting Illinois for sure, although I think he's already filled his class for next year. He, he, he recruits early. He, he gets get, them in early. Illinois, is not that's not the case. And by the way, I think you're going to see another year for Illinois to go with it in that transfer market. The transfer market has been great for Illinois this year so far. That was seven key guys, and, and six of them have two years' eligibility. You got the two guys, the two receivers from USC and the defensive end from USC. You got an offensive lineman from Alabama, I know, as yeah. well. Yeah, no, we've got a quarterback from Michigan. From Michigan. You know, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Brown wanted to hit that market, and he swung and missed on the offensive line. 
and that's really come back to bite them. Um, again, that line has really struggled. They've started, I think, eight different guys. You have some redshirt freshmen who are making starts who aren't ready. Keep your eye on, on the right tackle situation. There's going to be a redshirt freshman. Two guys rotate. Uh, it's going to be a weak spot. So, again, um, they wanted to get some veteran help up front and didn't get it, and they're paying for it. But they must be pretty good blockers for passing. I mean, they must be because you're able to get the ball off without a lot of sacks. <laughs> well, the Penn State game won. Plummer was sacked ten times. And Penn State's got a heck of a pair of defensive ends. But, again, they can't knock anybody back in the ground game, and they're okay as pass blockers. But, again, ideally at a place like Purdue where you have to develop these guys, you wouldn't want a lineman on that field until they're probably a redshirt sophomore earliest. Another couple of minutes with Tom Deanhart. He works for the uh, Rivals.com site. Now, when you were working with the uh, Big Ten Network, had you always lived here, or do, no, you, do no. you live here now? No, I, uh, I still live in St. Louis. I'm here for football season. I grew up here. That's the only thing that really makes this, this possible for me. And My mother still lives here about a 10-minute walk from mm-hmm. the stadium here. My, my high school, you can see my high school right over there. Yeah. What's your relationship with Joe Deanhart? He was my grandfather's, I want to say, second cousin. Oh, okay. You got a good memory. You remember Joe Deanhart? Oh, I do, certainly. He was on the staff at, at Purdue a long time ago. Yeah, worked in the athletic department, was the mayor of West Lafayette for a while. So, was the mayor. Yeah, yeah. So my, again, I've I got aunts and uncles, and my, my parents went to Purdue. So I've got a lot of lineage here, and uh, I know a lot about this program, this school, and I know the people on the staff. So uh, it, it, it's worked out for me, and... Uh, you know what, uh, Purdue's a place that uh, I always have a lot of interest in, and right now it's going to be interesting to see what Jeff Brom can do here. As you guys know, it was a rough eight years with Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel, and Jeff Brom has given this place a little bit of hope. What, I see your attendance has gone up the last two years yeah. with Brom. That's that's straight, right? That's Brom <laughs> no. doing that. Yeah, and I think uh, going to back-to-back bowls was a surprise. I can't believe anybody would have thought that would happen his first two years here, considering the train wreck he walked into. Um and people are optimistic, Lauren. They're excited. And this is a school like Illinois. These schools are so similar in so many ways. Hungry for success. They want to support the program. Now they feel like they've been given some, some reason to show up and cheer on Saturday. So, you know, Purdue's bottom line always needs help. And getting people in seats obviously helps that bottom line. Getting people in seats today has got to be tough because yeah. everybody knows it's going to be raining. Nobody wants to set out there in the rain. Yeah, you know that uh, I know coming in, this game was close to a sellout, I think. And uh, like you said, with this. What's the sellout number? Oh, my God. I want to say about 60, 58. Okay. It's really come down over the years. I knew it was close to 60. And then in the 70s and 80s, it was up to 69 mm-hmm. when they had the south, the south end zone seats. Now, guys, this, this scoreboard's coming down after this year. They're going to build a new scoreboard, move it closer to the field. And Mike Bobinski, the AD, is in the midst of trying to raise money for a massive Rossade Stadium renovation project. Wow. Huge project, going to take millions of dollars to raise. They have to do it with all private funds. They don't have any more capacity to take on debt. So the John Purdue Club, the fundraising arm of the athletic department, has really got a big job in front of it trying to raise money because Bobinski needs to strike while the iron is hot. They, they see this opportunity. They want to expand Rossade Stadium. For a lot of reasons, to enhance fan experience and just make it a better venue. Back to this game, you mentioned Rondell Moore and his injury, but you found another, or Purdue found another outstanding young receiver in David Bell. 39 catches, averages over 16 yards per reception. Back-to-back freshman of the week in the Big Ten. Tell us more about him. Yeah, Steve, a special kid, six foot two, 180 pounds from Indianapolis, Warren Central High School, one of the best programs in the state. 
He was rated the best recruit in the state of Indiana last year by rivals. A lot of people wanted this kid. When Purdue got him, it was a big coup, and, and he's lived up to the hype so far. I tell you what, fellas, um, very humble kid, very soft-spoken, uh, doesn't wow you with his speed, his strength, but he just does everything well, and he's just, he just one of those guys who makes the catch. He makes knows the how catch. to get open. Knows he? how to get open. One other freshman to keep an eye on today, guys, for you and your listeners, number five, George Karloftis, defensive end. Went to my high school right over there, West Lafayette High School. Could have gone anywhere in America, Alabama, Miami, Michigan, Ohio State. He chose Purdue to stay home so his family could watch him. He's on track to probably be a freshman All-American off the edge. You guys remember Ryan Kerrigan, right? Yep. They're hoping this kid could morph into a guy like that in a couple years. So uh, David Bell, George Karloftis, or a couple freshmen, true freshmen, who have really impacted Purdue and lived up to their hype. That's Tom Deanhart. Good to see you, my friend. You too, guys. Always fun visiting. I always enjoy uh, seeing your faces. And I always have a soft spot for Illinois. And uh, I always wish you guys the best, too. And your mom probably has a soft spot for the fact that you get back to town the four, five, six times during the season. I've already put on 20 pounds. <laughs> Meatloaf, you name it. You know, uh, you know what it's like with a mother and a son, right? That's right. Hey, enjoy the game. Uh, have a good day at work. I appreciate it, Steve. Tom Deanhart with us on the Line Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break. Be back with more. Stay with us here on DWS. It's time for Fighting Illini men's basketball. They'll play an exhibition with Lewis University, 8 o'clock on Friday night, 7 o'clock. Our pregame show starts from State Farm Center Friday night. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues, getting our busy day of football coverage underway here. Illini game day at 9.30, and uh, the game at 11 o'clock here at Rainey, West Lafayette, ross Stadium. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, Jay Lehman in the house. Jay's doing the game on uh, BTN. How you doing, youngster? What's up, guys? I still feel like a youngster. I don't know if I am. I'm definitely younger than Lauren. And you're <laughs> younger than me, so you're a youngster in this booth. It's funny, Steve. You know, I was watching old YouTube clips, and I saw you do a a TV clip. I didn't even know you did TV back in the day. Oh, oh man. Of, of, the, of the, I think it was the Michigan or the Ohio State game. Yeah. And it was great. I, I mean, I saw you, man. You're a good-looking guy back then. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened? Well, just, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this one today? Boy, I, you Got know, rain I, I, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the biggest factor, actually. 47 and rainy, and I just hope there's no lightning because we all want don't want delays. But that's going to affect the passing game. What about the running game? What about the Illinois running game? How does that affect it if it rains? I think it, I think it makes Dre Brown more effective. I think it hurts Reggie. I, and I think Dre Brown's been trending up. I like to see him get more carries yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um. You know, Reggie's kind of feast or famine, right? He, he has some negative plays in there. I think overall, does it affect your footwork? I think it affects man-to-man coverage a lot. So you're kind of hesitant sometimes to do man-to-man coverage. Do you see Lovey uh, switching one of his linebackers to a safety for this game? I, I could see him playing. Emilio Eifler hasn't played as good as Harding or Hanson, in my opinion. Harding, Hanson, and good. Yeah. I, I think Milo, what was great about Milo was he could kind of do both, but they're not that deep at secondary either. No. <clears throat> so I'm kind of like, does it make sense to do that? It, he's all about the best 11 on the field. That's why Adams got moved down to uh, corner. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And Woods uh, to end. I mean, last yeah, week. Yeah, and, and and you know Avery when he when he plays hard, he's very good. You bet. He's very good. Now, can you get him to play hard and get that motor every play? Is the next step. As a defender playing in the rain and a potentially slick field, 
who has the advantage? The guy that knows where he's going or the guy like you with the blazing speed, although <laughs> uh, – Thanks, Steve. Trying to uh, – to uh, get your footing to, to what he's doing. You, I, oh, your I, position's a reaction position no matter what. Well, that's but. a good question. I always thought the rain always helped the less athletic player. So I was less athletic. So I thought, I, I, the worse it was, the better I was, I felt like. I, at least mentally I told myself that. You're a mutter. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't realize, I didn't need to stick my foot in the ground and m- make somebody miss. And so I don't think I was there was enough speed to have me slip. Really, you gotta be. You know, you're walking. You never slip on the field, but you start running. You know, so um, I think the least athletic team has the advantage. What does last week's win mean for Illinois as a team going into this game? Well, I, I think this game determines a lot what it means going forward. But going in this game, I think there's a lot more confidence for Illinois. They finally finished a game against a really good team. I mean, well, we were talking at Big Ten. We don't remember a game on Big Ten Network or a game. In the history of the Big Ten, we saw Northwestern Minnesota. They was there, there was the they had the bigger point spread back in the '80s. But this is the biggest upset anybody could remember when you look at what was on the tape. And so I think it does a lot for the program. But if you come out here and lay an egg against Purdue, didn't you didn't you say well that wasn't for real that was a fluke? And I think that's that's the problem is they they've got to really take advantage of the next two games. If they can take advantage today, they'll show that they can stop a, run, a passing game the same as a running game. I bet. I bet this is so different. This so is different. not the same night, game. Night and day stylistically for sure. But I I just think they lucked out with the weather today, and I think they lucked out too that Rondell Moore's not playing. I don't. I you know he's banged up. I think so. I I don't know if he'll play or not, but he hasn't played. So we'll see. Any any news reports from Illinois on players who may or may not play? I mean, I know Sydney, well, I, Sydney's I, out for the year. Well, Sydney's out. I mean, it was questionable, um, you know, questionable for um, Batiku and questionable for Smalling. But I, you Batiku's know, I, key. I would say he's really key. I would say he's he is he is one of the he is one of the the main pieces for this team. Although Jamal Woods filled in good, and they, they beat Wisconsin without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially they did. Right. But that was a different, again, that was stopping the run as opposed to uh, he's a good pass rusher. Right, right. So, I, I mean, you need him for the sacks, right? Uh, Illinois has been able to create pressure with their linebackers as well. I don't know if you can afford to blitz linebackers against Brahm, especially with the weapons they have. This David Bell guy is a good player. This uh, receiver they have in Milton Wright. And if Rondell plays, I mean, you have all three really good receivers. So, Patiku is key in many reasons, not the least of which is – Where's that number 47? You need that on the field. You know, we were just talking about how, you know, athlete, how athletic I was. He's like the opposite <laughs> the way he looks in the jersey than I do. I mean, he just looks just straight off the bodybuilding field, you know. Right. So it's upgraded. You know, it went from it went from me to, like, Glenn Foster, who was bigger than me and badder than me. And then there's then there the really the baddest of them all. When I say bad, I mean cool. So uh, that's Patiku. Last week, what game were you? Were you doing Indiana game last week? Yes, I was doing it. Was, I was that an no, early no, game? No, I was doing the Rutgers game. Okay. Well, no, well you, you didn't know about the Rutgers game? You didn't watch? I did I'm, I'm just. I was kind of busy with I, the Illinois game. No, that was the joke is that, you know, right. the Illinois game was finishing up literally about 30 seconds before I went on air. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Then I got to go on air and yeah. talk about Rutgers, Minnesota. That was going to be my question. Where did you watch it from and did, how much of it did you well, get Well, you to know, see? these days, you know, you can watch everything on your tablet or your phone. So I'm yeah. watching on uh, the Fox Sports app to watch. Uh, Illinois, mm-hmm. and I'm watching it, and I got the producer right here. We're going on in 30 seconds. We're, we're it was a, kind of a long game, so they're kicking the field goal, and I got to go on live TV, 
and act like I wasn't excited, or but I did throw in. Well, you know, if Illinois can beat Wisconsin, Rutgers can beat. Actually, I take that back. Rutgers could not beat Minnesota. Johnny Langan, not necessarily the quarterback to get that done. How did Minnesota evolve into this running team that we have seen in the last four months or so? Well, I asked PJ that question. They weren't that way the first three games no, of the season. No, I asked him that question. He said, well, we had two running backs coming off knee surgeries. Ibrahim got hurt as well, so we didn't have a great back. And our offensive line just wasn't meshing very well. And we've just gotten better at it the last uh, since everybody got healthy. We had three backs, and the, and the linemen have meshed. We've been a lot better. It's kind of strange because I mean, you didn't expect to see Minnesota doing this. I mean, they're they're the, they're the Wisconsin type now. I mean, they're really running the football. That's what they want to do. They want to control time of possession. But what they have is they have those two big good receivers they can throw deep to as well. So then they've been really productive when they're just running the ball, running up, then play action off that. Bam. How how good do you think Minnesota is? They've benefited from oh, a pretty gosh. weak uh, crossover. Well, schedule. not only a weak crossover, but. They have not played a Big Ten starting quarterback yet. So let me break it down. Sindelar got hurt in their game, so they played Plummer his first start. Peters gets hurt in the first quarter. They play Robinson. The next game, uh, they played against, who was it? Uh, they played against uh, They played against Noah Vedrill from Nebraska, not Martinez. That's a, that's a huge difference, right? Yeah. Then they played against Johnny Langan, not Art Sitkowski. And this week, they're probably going to play against Tyrell Pigram and not Josh Jackson. That means the first five games in conference – they went against backup quarterbacks. Now, that is a stat. huge thing. Yeah. They, there you go, guys, right? That's why they pay me the big bucks, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they pay you the big bucks, and we're happy to have you occasionally on our, <laughs> no. on our show. You, you remember it's the little guys. enough for a cup of coffee, man. It's enough for a cup. Well, when Lauren Tate says, listen, I need oh, you, I need you to do something. That. Don't you know? start that. I mean, I, I, try to, I try to make time for him, for sure. <laughs> He's a Centennial fan. We all struggle with that. I struggle with that. I'm a central guy, but I've forgiven it. Hey, my son went to Centennial, and he played two sports there. Come on. Yeah, you, you got to do it. I, I, I had three daughters that went to Central. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> when I knew him, he was a Centennial guy. <laughs> Is this a, uh, a tough place to play or not? Just, just kind of another well, Big Ten stadium? Know, I think it's just kind of another Big Ten stadium. You know, we, we never, I never had great success here, but I only played here once. Because in 2007, we didn't play here. and I, In 2003, I didn't, uh, I didn't travel to this, to this right. game. You know, and I think uh, one thing Purdue's done very well, I think it's probably, it's an XO's coaching job. It's not necessarily about the guys you get here. It's always kind of been about the scheme and throwing the ball since Tiller got here. They finally got some players at the skill position. I tell you what, Purdue's not good on the offensive line. I think Brian would tell you the same thing. They're not that good on the offensive line, so they kind of try to run on the edges and throw the football down the field. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that today. We'll see. Well, it'll be a kind of a neutral crowd with the, with the rain. Once the rain starts, a lot of people are going to go for cover. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and one thing they have, they, what Illinois hasn't done, what Purdue has, is they've rejuvenated their fan base. Mm-hmm. They, they have really increased their season ticket holder year over year since it's the about, first year Brahms been here. About 10,000 total. Right. Seven and three in the two years. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's impressive what they've done because like, it's an exciting brand of football. Each of these two teams gives up about 29 points a game, which is towards the bottom, obviously, of the Big Ten. So you expected a 34-31 kind of game here, or do you think maybe the rain affects that? Yeah, side? you know, usually I always I always said you got to win. In this day of college football, you usually got to gotta score 40, usually. Uh, today I think it's probably more 25 to 35. I think it's in that range. I think this game is going to be close. I think turnovers will play a huge role in this game. 
Uh, Brom says they've been working the wet football drills all. They, they saw the weather coming, so they've been working the drills. So I, I don't know. I will see. I think it's a very interesting matchup. I do think the rain helps Illinois. Hey, Jay, appreciate it as always. All right, guys. See you. Have a good broadcast. Yep. Bye-bye. Jay Lehman with us. It is 842 here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break and be back with more after this. Stay with us. Join us for Illinois football later this morning from West Lafayette, Indiana. It's Illinois and the Purdue Boilermakers. 11 o'clock kick, 930 Illini game day after Saturday Sports Talk. Welcome back to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, everybody. Speaking of Illini Pella, have you thought about replacing any windows or doors at your home? How about a trip to the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign? Mike Mary and the team standing by to help you. They do things the right way. You know, there are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows or doors, things like security, comfort, convenience. The Pella Window Store has many examples on the showroom floor in all kinds of different styles and selections. You'll find them all at the Pella Window Store, North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. They're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, or you can check them out online at PellaOfChampagne.com. They've got locations all around central Illinois. Mike Mary is the man in Champaign. Stop by and say hi to Mike. They've been serving customers in the area for four decades plus. Not trying to make you feel old, Mike, but uh, a lot of experience there. Stop by and see the folks at the Pella Window Store. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Happy to welcome uh, to the program now Don Harden, former Illinois volleyball coach from 1996 to 2008. Good morning, Don. How are you? Hey, good morning. Uh, just listening to you talk about window replacement as I'm looking out my window right now with this <laughs> weather and everything and thinking about Man, maybe I've got to replace my windows and look at the cold air. Is, I got a little bit open, and my wife and I are kind of having sympathy for the band. You know, we have this high school, yeah. lots, of oh, friends, boy. lots of friends in the community, and they're out there all day with their kids in all these bands. And, man, it's just going to be one of those challenging days, I think, outside. Well, we wanted to talk to you this week about uh, the earlier week passing of a friend of all of ours and certainly one of your close friends, uh, Mike Hebert, and what a great career he had. And, and it was just so sad to see that uh, he is no longer with us at the age of 75. Your thoughts on, on him as a person and him as a, a pioneer, really, in the field of uh, women's volleyball? I, I think that's exactly right. The pioneer comment is something we used a lot back in in those days, I, I, I think about our early years here, and uh, it was quite an amazing story. I thought about what to share with you guys uh, for some of the listeners that, uh, you know, are more into the backstories and some of, some of the, uh, I think, more refined points of what goes on around sport. Uh, there is something I would want to share about him that maybe people, you know, even Lauren, as closely as he studies everything, may not realize the impact that Mike had in a significant way. Uh, you know, first of all, the story itself is just phenomenal to come in here. Uh, I think there was a newspaper article that said we were a modest program at the time. I, I don't think we were modestly successful at all. We we're probably the worst team in the state of Illinois, and uh, we went 5-25 and 25 the first year. It was in playing in Kenny Jim with maybe some family members watching at best. And it was, uh, you know, it was a really difficult basement level doormat program at the time. 
and just imagine, and it was a West Coast sport, you know, California and Hawaii ruled the day. Nobody in the Midwest really could ever beat a California school. And three years later, three years later, this program is number one in the nation. And the first program ever east of California to be ranked number one in the nation. That's an amazing turnaround and accomplishment. Uh, and we convinced some of the top players uh, in Chicago who always went out west to turn down Stanford and UCLA and stay and make volleyball happen in another part of the country. And that, that was, you know, that story in itself is phenomenal. But the thing I would highlight about Mike that people don't realize, the growth of the sport, the impact he had, he became president of our coaches association and the top uh, eight teams were seated. So we had the, the top four teams, the top eight seated in the tournament. And of course they were always West coast schools. So it was really hard for any other programs to advance uh, toward a championship or the final four. Somehow Mike, uh, I, to this day, I, I remember all the effort he put into this, but how in the world he got it done, he convinced our entire coaches association to vote to have the tournament regionalized. And there had been efforts before. And what that means basically is there would be Midwestern representation in the final four. So uh, there had to be a team from the Midwest and a team from the East and the other two seeds would be open uh, to the top seed. So there would be a West Coast, a Midwest, an Eastern team, and then whoever was ranked number four or uh, highly ranked after that. So there were two West Coast teams, and all of a sudden a Midwest team would go. Uh, and it came down to, at that time, it was us in Nebraska were the, the big programs in the Midwest. And it, it was a time where, where watching him politically um, influence that whole swing and change um, made a dramatic, that coupled with our successor just changed the face of volleyball. I mean, the, uh, the sport was all of a sudden more of a national sport and the growth was phenomenal for those two or three years. And Well, Don, uh, you know, talk, about his, your, talk about your relationship specifically with him. How many years did you work with him and what was his input when you became the coach and, and, and helping you become the coach? Well, he's, that's the thing that happens when we see someone dear to us pass, uh, especially someone like Mike, you, I'm taken back by all the lives that are impacted. Um, all the people, I, my wife and I were out in town last night and we just happened to, uh, have a late drink after movie. And there's Jeff Carlson, the coach from Ohio state, cause the games today and they stayed downtown and, he looked at me, gave me a big hug, and here's a guy at Minnesota that was a dear friend of Mike's and whose life he impacted. And then we, in turn, as head coaches, impact so many other lives. And there's so many people who are changed because of the direction of one person like this. Uh, Mike, I, I was in the military coming back from uh, Germany. I'd played ball, and I was going to you know, go to college and play ball at some university out west maybe or wherever. And my parents were in Pittsburgh, and I heard about this guy trying to start a program, a men's team at Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. And uh, I wanted to coach, look at coaching too. And uh, he had built a really strong women's program there. And 
you know, it was Mike and I met him and I got put on scholarship. They couldn't pay me to assistant coach with Mike, but they put, they created a, the only men's volleyball scholarship that ever existed at Pitt for me to play for Mike on the men's team and help assistant coach with them. And then we ran club programs in Pitt, in and around Pittsburgh. He left to go to New Mexico and I knew the program might not be the same after that. I, I wanted to go somewhere and play at the highest level. And I went to Ohio state and that's where I met my wife. I played ball there. And then Mike was at New Mexico and he called me about the time I was proposing to my wife and said, you know, Don, you want to work together again? I've got this special opportunity at Illinois. It, it's horrible now, but I think that we can do something there. I think the administration's serious about, it, you know, exploring what volleyball could be. And I, I love the guy. I thought he, you know, he was doing things the right way, and certainly a mentor of mine, and taught me a lot of a lot about life in general. We came here, he got married, I got married a week apart. We were best men at each other's weddings, and uh, I was, I mean, we were inseparable. He would take me everywhere, and we we spent time learning from the national team coaches, going, we got, I got to go behind the curtain on all kinds of things as a young guy coming up at, at that time and learned so much from so many of the greats, and at the same time, um, Mike lived volleyball, and I was there all the time. We were... Um, really really close and uh, then I went off to head coach at, at Louisville and um, you know there was a time where it was really difficult for Mike here and the sport um, and the support for the sport was being questioned uh, and we were on vacation together our wives the four of us and uh, we knew Mike could had decided I mean we stayed up talking about it all night long for a couple nights and Mike said I'm I'm going to do it I'm going to go to Minnesota and you know that means they're going to call you because that was always made clear here that if anything happened they I would get the call to come back here and we knew I'd turn it down we we decided those three things we we had it all figured out we we'd come back off our vacation and Mike could go to Minnesota I'd get the call and I'd stay at Louisville because it was ridiculous to come here uh with what was going on everybody transfers the best players had gone and were leaving the program it was um there was just a lot of challenges at the time and ron gunther um when he talked to me you know i i was not i was reluctant and uh the first time i just did you know i i think it's in worse shape than you realize ron and um uh, what didn't dawn on me at the time was the incredible challenge of coming into coach here when my beloved mentor, the person that everybody revered, is coaching against you at another Big Ten school. Uh, the surge of women's basketball at the time, the challenges to kind of, you know, and Ron and I, Ron came back a second time and, you know, we talked about it. Volleyball was kind of destined to fall off the map a little bit here with all of those things going on. And uh, it was a big challenge. It was really hard on our relationship and very difficult for the two of us. Um, and then Mike lost a dear friend and assistant coach that was uh, really special. Maurice Beatty just 
died suddenly in a pickup basketball game. Uh, and Mike didn't have anybody to talk to about it like he did me and came back. Our friendship, I guess, came back close again, close together over a tragedy. And uh, we were very close ever since then. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it was tough because he had Parkinson's. We, we knew it for a long time. Um, my wife was the one that kind of looked at his back and looked at some problems he was having again on another vacation. And she said, you need to see a neurologist. You know, this could be complicated. And uh, sure enough, we, you know, we found out that bad news. And uh, like everything, he handled it with incredible grace and dignity and uh, just a remarkable person to know. And we're so fortunate that volleyball has a you know now volleyball is a story it's not a program that dropped off the map it's a great coaches like hamley and now chris coming here and it's uh, it's stabilized as one of the premier pro programs in the country over a lot of years and uh, it's just an amazing story from the very beginning don harden we appreciate your time on this uh, busy saturday morning always good to get caught up with you and uh, thanks for taking time with us Good Thank luck, you, guys, today. Thank, thank, thanks for giving it time. Appreciate it very Thank much. You, you bet. That's Don Harden as we approach the uh, 9 o'clock hour, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We've got another 30 minutes on this show, and then our pregame coverage will continue with a lot of game day coming up at 9.30. Coming up after the break, we'll talk things over with Will Leach, and then about uh, 9.15 or so, a few minutes with Brad Underwood as well. Back with more after this. Stay with us. Join us for the Lovey Smith Radio Show from Papa Dell's Pizza Factory Monday night, 7 to 8. We'll take a look back at the Purdue game. Look forward to the game with Rutgers. That's Monday night, 7 to 8 on DWA. Welcome back to Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk, early edition. The Illini on the road at West Lafayette. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you from the radio booth at Ross-Age Stadium in West Lafayette. We've visited so far with Tom Deanhart, Jay Lehman, former Illini volleyball coach Don Harden. And now we welcome Will Leach, kind of a monthly visitor to this program. He's with us from uh, Georgia, I guess. Or maybe uh, maybe you're not home. Will, where are you this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Athens. There's too much uh, little kid soccer to watch. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I wouldn't dare uh, miss these kids. Uh, for run around. The, thing, the great thing about youth soccer is your kids can run around for an hour, and you really don't know if they did well or did poorly. I think that's the fun part of, uh, of, of soccer as a sport. Well, the good thing about that is you could tell them how well they did. Oh yeah, they did awesome. You guys did great. I, whatever, whatever you were doing, keep doing it. Where, where were you last week? About the time that uh, James McCourt was kicking the game-winning field goal, did you get a chance to see it live? Did you see it later? Well, I'm sure you've seen it since. Oh yes, I've seen it. Uh, I saw it live, and I've seen it since many, many times. <laughs> I think uh, certainly uh, it was very exciting. You know, I, I think that I think that uh, it's funny how your mind kind of. Uh, changes the way you experience something uh, later on. Now I think back at that game, I'm like, oh, yeah, you could tell from the beginning that Illinois was going to win, and you absolutely could not. I, I think early in the third quarter, I don't think anyone uh, – I certainly you were impressed that Illinois was hanging in with them, but I don't think anyone thought, oh, yeah, this is an upset in the brew, uh, brewing. I think it really just kind of all happened at once, and I was glad I stuck with it because you, you saw improvements, but then when, once you saw, to me, the moment – that uh, Peters completed that touchdown pass. It made you feel like, okay, this could actually be the day. So, yeah, we watched it live. Lots of excitement. Lots of people wearing Georgia red because they, we were going to the Georgia-Kentucky uh, game. 
afterwards. But uh, we were all watching it at our house, uh, really having a great time. By the way, you mentioned uh, Georgia, Kentucky. We're going to have a lot of rain here at Purdue. What what kind of a uh, – that game was nothing to nothing at the halftime, I remember, and didn't look like Kentucky could do anything in that rain. Yeah, and, and listen, Georgia either. You know, I mean, Jake Fromm is a terrific quarterback, and I think he completed three passes on seven attempts. They basically uh, kind of just waited uh, – they, they realized pretty early on that the only way that – the team that was going to win that game, because Georgia's obviously a lot more talented than Kentucky, but the team that was going to win that game was the one that didn't fumble a punch or the one that didn't that didn't uh, uh, make a big mistake. And eventually Kentucky made it. And I think, uh, and listen, not all games like that. Uh, Florida and South Carolina played uh, uh, last week in, in similar conditions, and they threw for, you know, four, 300 or 400 yards. So you can play in those conditions, but uh, uh, certainly depending on the type of coach, uh, it, it's certainly the type of game where you just wait for someone to make a mistake and try to take advantage of it. It'll be a it'll be a crazy game today because I feel like this actually kind of works for Illinois' advantage a little bit in that uh, Purdue is uh, much more of a team that they're going to want to throw the ball around a little bit. And uh, I think if the ball's wet and messed up, I think that that actually could work in Illinois' favor. Well, we wanted to watch you. We wanted to ask you about uh, baseball and what's going on with Washington. They finally lost a game last night, and by the way, they had threats going all the time early but just couldn't capitalize but what's your reaction to the Cardinals series with Washington and what's what we've seen since yeah certainly with the Cardinals series with Washington uh you know a lot of people compare it to the 2004 World Series and that the Cardinals never had a lead and it was all just kind of over from the beginning uh I would argue though that that 2004 team played entirely out of character that series that series was great that team was fantastic and in that series it just kind of fell apart on them in the face of history. The 2019 Cardinals lost in the NLCS the way they lost all year, which is to say they just didn't hit. <laughs> and I think that you know people that didn't watch the Cardinals all year might have been surprised to see the Cardinals kind of have their offense shut off like that. But if you watched them all year, you knew they had that kind of shutdown in them. And I think that that's going to be a serious thing that they're going to have to address in the offseason, whether it's through – uh, kind of uh, whether it's through new, new players or, or whether it's through uh, kind of a change in the approach of uh, Jeff Albert. Albert's obviously come under a lot of criticism as a hitting coach. They have a new philosophy there, and they haven't quite ironed out all the kinks on it, and I think that you saw the results of that. So I think the Cardinals were very fortunate to be in the NLCS in the first place. This did not feel like a particularly great Cardinals team. So it's, it's certainly a success, but uh, uh, I don't just credit to the Nationals being this juggernaut that couldn't be stopped. I think the Cardinals certainly did not do much to stand in their way. And when it comes to the World Series, the Nationals are a good team. The Astros are a historic team. If you really compare them to teams throughout baseball history, uh, they, I mean, they've won 107 games, but if you look at their like third-order record, which is what a lot of analytics people look at, they were like uh, a team as good as some of that, like that Mariners team in 2001. Uh, I never really thought that. I know people were like, this is going to be a sweep. The Nationals are just running it now. Uh, I, I think the Astros have too much going on. I think that uh, uh, that's a terrific team, and it would not surprise me to see this series go uh, – Go back, go back to Houston, no question. Uh, what do the Cardinals do about Ozuna? What do they do about center field? What do they do about right field? Ozuna, I think, is a pretty easy one. Uh, they'll offer him the qualifying offer. He won't accept it because he'll think he can get more. And yeah. he's probably right. He's probably right. And then they'll get the draft pick. And listen, Ozuna, I think Ozuna takes a lot of heat sometimes, more heat than he perhaps should. But he's not what the Cardinals thought they were getting when they traded for him. He was a good hitter, not a great one. And he was a great one in his last year in Miami. So I think they were expecting more with Dylan Carlson coming. Uh, I think that uh, 
there's no reason to give uh, – I don't see the Cardinals see any reason to give Azuna a multi-year contract. On the other hand, the downside to that is he was probably their second or third best hitter on a team that couldn't hit. So you have to now fill, fill, fill that spot. To me, I think the smart play is actually to look at someone like a Nick Castellanos who, uh, who came over from the Tigers uh, to the Cubs, who's a free agent. Someone that you can get on like a, like a good one-year contract to help you out, not just in left field but right field, because I think that you're right. Right field's got a lot of issues. And uh, listen, Fowler had a better year. He really struggled in the postseason, but he had a better year. Uh, and I think when the Cardinals were playing well, a lot of it was because Fowler was doing well. So I think you give Fowler a chance. It's like you give Vader a chance. But uh, I, right now I get a sense the Cardinals don't want to bring in like a kind of a pillow outfielder to help transition them uh, into like the Carlson era. But I think they should. I think it's a smart play because uh, to, I, I, I understand why they're not going to re-sign Ozuna, and it makes sense. However, I certainly don't see how this offense, which already struggled so much, gets a lot of better, lot better without it. Another minute or two with Will Leach. Let's go back to this game today. I don't know how much you've looked into this uh, matchup, but your thoughts on uh, Illinois putting a back-to-back Big Ten wins together and then getting ever closer to the uh, conversation of uh, the B-word, the uh, bowl possibilities. <laughs> It certainly would be frustrating to uh, to because I listen. I think like a lot of people before last week's game, you wondered you wondered what was going to happen. You wondered you know, a bowl certainly didn't seem like something that we were really considering all that seriously. And now it's back on the table. It would be frustrating to have it be taken right back off of the table again after we got so excited. Traditionally speaking, you know though, if you look at trends in this stuff, usually a team after a big upset win like this usually does struggle the next week. That it doesn't. It's not the we all like to imagine it's like the click game where everything clicks into gear and, and the team figures it all out and they go on this run. That's not often how it turns out. Speaking of Georgia and South Carolina, South Carolina, after the big upset of Georgia, went out and played pretty lousy uh, in, the, in the next game. I think uh, Illinois is not playing a team that's as good as uh, South Carolina was playing. So there's an opportunity here. But listen, they, they played well against Wisconsin. They deserve the victory. But they also kind of caught every break down the stretch. I think they're going to need to catch some more today. But if you do it today, I think the bowl, if they can win today, bowl absolutely should be on the table because Rutgers has got to be a win. And then it puts you uh, potentially in that Northwestern game. It would be nice to see. You saw the, the joy about the win last week was not just about the win. It was about kind of what everyone's been through, kind of Lovey having his breakthrough moment. You'd like to see him build on that. Uh, I'm glad they're not playing uh, Ohio State the week after that. They're, they're in a good opportunity to have a chance, but uh, they do need everything to fall right for them again. Let's squeeze in a caller here for Will Leach, and I'm guessing it's a baseball question. Marty in Pinehurst, North Carolina, South Carolina, wherever Pinehurst is. Hey, Marty. It's North Carolina, Steve. If you come down here and play golf, you'd know where it is. I know where it Darn is. It. I, I was just kidding you. Go ahead. Get Lauren and get on it. Get Lauren and get in the car and get down here. No, this hey, is yeah, one of those weeks that Lauren has quit golf again. <laughs> okay, I got you. I understand that one. Uh, the clubs are in the question. house. Yep, I do have a question for Will, or a couple of them. Um, one, the teams that are in the World Series right now, and this has continued since 2015, I believe, are two of the top teams in baseball at putting the ball in play and not striking out. Uh, how does St. Louis get there, number one? And number two, while I'll admit Dexter had a better year, uh, it's not a good enough year. And what are you going to do with those contracts of Fowler and Carpenter when you've got all these young outfielders coming? Because I think their roster is plugged. Anyway. Hey, Mar- give, Marty, give thanks. We're going to let uh, Will respond to those, and then uh, we'll move gotcha. along. But appreciate the call, Marty. Thanks. Go ahead, Will. Yep. 
Yeah, certainly. They're, those contracts are not going away. I think that sometimes when you get frustrated, I think fans get frustrated, and understandably so. They're like, they just need to get rid of Fowler and get rid of Carpenter. That's not going to happen. They are not so bad. I, certainly neither. Uh, uh, Fowler has not played up to his contract so far, but he's not like a Brett Cecil, for example, where you're just, <clears throat> he can't be a part of this team at all. But I think that's the problem with those contracts is you, it puts you in a situation where you feel like obliged to give Carpenter and, and Fowler more time than perhaps you should. That's two years. I mean, like, it, it helps. To me, I actually feel like Carpenter, he's such a streaky player. He has these years where he's on and where he's off. I, I feel like there's reason to think you're going to get some sort of value out of that. And with Fowler, listen, the way that you sell the Fowler situation is you get Tyler O'Neill or Randy or Rosarina to actually – take the job from him. And right now you can excuse, you can keep following that spot because none of those outfielders have truly emerged. Carlson's like someone I think they are, they think is ready to emerge now, but listen, the, I don't, they're not going to cut Dexter Fowler, but until an outfielder come comes and takes his spot away by performing consistently, he will continue to have a spot on this team. I think that's what they'd like to see. You can deal with that contract. If a, a Rosarina stands, steps up or an O'Neill steps up, we just haven't seen that yet. Hey, Will, as always, we appreciate your time. We're getting set for football here before long, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Of course. Good luck out there. Stay dry, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Will Leach with us from MLB.com at 913, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk things over with uh, Brad Underwood for about five minutes, talk some Illinois basketball as they get close to that first exhibition game coming up next Friday night at the State Farm Center. Stay with us. We're back with more after this. Hi, this is Brian Barnhart. Hope you have a great weekend this weekend. We're back at it Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking with Lauren Tate, 9 to 11 on Penny for Your Thoughts on EWA. Moving up on 9-17, Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you for another uh, 10 or so minutes as we get set for Illini game day with Scott Beatty and uh, the rest of the game day crowd coming up. This game, football game, tips off at 11 o'clock. Illinois and Purdue still raining. I can't tell. It doesn't look from up here like it's raining that hard, but it's going to be a nuisance kind of rain throughout the day for this football game. We'll talk a lot more about that as we move along through the day as well. Illinois basketball next Friday night at the State Farm Center. The exhibition, the the one exhibition game that they have is against Lewis. They are playing one of those secret scrimmages tomorrow down at South Carolina. Had a chance to visit with uh, Brad Underwood about the uh, increased expectations and a lot of preseason hype about uh, his third edition of the Illini basketball team. I'm excited about that, yet, you know, you, it, I know it means nothing when when everybody's zero and zero. Um, you know, there's a lot of chemistry things that, uh, that, that fall in place. Uh, uh, timing becomes, you know, a big part of this. We've got an early road trip that'll be very, very challenging. Uh, against two very good teams, and uh, you know we've got unknowns, and and you know we, we're there's no doubt we're going to rely on Kofi a little bit, and and he's a freshman who's never played a game, so um, you know Illinois basketball is 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 a prominent program on the national scene. It should be. I'm excited about the expectations. It means we've gotten uh, you know we've gotten some good players, and we beat some good people last year, and I think people are excited to 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 see the growth as I am. Let's talk a little bit about Kofi. Have you ever had an athlete quite like that? No, no. I, you know, I he, he's. Uh, I think most of the country could say that. I mean, he's so unique in the fact that uh, you know he's legit seven foot and and uh, you know he's two hundred and eighty six pounds as, as he starts the season and and 
a guy that uh, uh, you know physically can just be a, a a monster in terms of his um, his aggression, his his strength. Uh, so yeah, he's he's a unique guy, and and we've got to utilize him in the right way. Yet understand that uh, even though he looks like a like a guy that's much older than an 18, 19 year old, we've got to understand that he's never played a college game. Is there anybody that so far has been kind of flying under the radar, so to speak, or maybe stepping up that um, maybe the media and fans aren't talking about yet because they haven't seen you guys for a while? Well, I, you know, it's really easy to forget about Trent. Yeah. And, you know, Trent's a guy that you start looking at what he's done his first two years, and, and uh, uh, he's been um, exceptional. I mean, he's had he's had a great uh, opening to his college career, and, and uh, now he's back as a junior. He's he's uh, He's been lights out in, in practice, shooting the ball. He's, he's We're able to uh, be defined a little more in terms of playing him in, in different areas, trying to get him some shots. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's an elite athlete. He's the Energizer Bunny that never – I mean, he just keeps on running. And uh, uh, so, you know, he's been very, very good, and I think we've seen uh, a marked improvement in Andres Felice, uh, you know, a guy last year that didn't have to shoot a lot of threes, but now is, uh, has been making them at a, at, a, at a really high clip. So he's expanded that range. And, uh, you know, and then I've been really impressed with, uh, with Allen in terms of his – uh, just his improvement with strength, and uh, again, a guy that uh, needs to uh, needs to make that jump for us. There's a lot of talk about basketball IQ. Who has it? Who doesn't? And it seems to me you got a lot of guys that do. Yeah, I think it's something we're trying to recruit yeah. um, because it's 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 without it, it is it is very hard to uh, uh, to play the game. And you know, I know uh, you know those next level guys at the NBA level. I mean, they're. Uh, very few guys in that league play without it, and uh, we're trying very hard to recruit it. And 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 guys are, are have a better understanding of what we're doing. It comes easier, it comes quicker. Uh, you know, Benjamin's a guy that uh, comes to comes to mind as a guy that has a very high IQ. Uh, you know, Georgie was fit that bill as well, and uh, as does Andres Feliz. So you know, we're uh, we're we're trying to recruit those guys, and not that the others don't. They they do, but. Uh, uh, it's a big part of the game today. You've got six days till the first exhibition. Will that time be quick for you, slow for you? I'm sure the players are ready, and I'm guessing you guys are too. Well, we have to take a couple days off, yeah. and that's um, you know with uh, with the compact preseason schedule we have. We have three games in the first week, so we're forced. We won't take a day off that week, so we're forced to take a day off. Um, we'll we'll take uh, Monday and Tuesday off. And then we'll jump into uh, Wednesday and Thursday prep for uh, for Lewis. We'll do a full scout for that. Uh, it'll be our first uh, real opportunity for our new guys to experience a scouting report. Uh, try to understand the detail. Lewis is very good. They're extremely well coached, and and um, uh, you know, it'll be the first time in State Farm under the lights. So. Uh, you know who knows, but uh, yeah, you, you you never feel like you have enough time. It always gets there really quick, and and yet uh, you're very anxious as well to to see how guys perform under the lights. That's Illinois basketball coach Brad Underwood. His team traveling today to uh, South Carolina for that uh, scrimmage tomorrow. That uh, no fans are allowed to see, no media. They just uh, the teams and the coaching staffs kind of work at it. They'll play somewhat of a simulated game but interestingly Lauren they'll also do some combined 
practicing. I mean, some combined drills. Yeah, out of bounds. And that yeah, sort of, yeah, with each other, against yeah. each other. It's, it's just kind of a, a big teaching kind of day. And it's up to the, uh, I guess, the uh, individual coaches as to, far, as to uh, how many stats might be kept and uh, how those might be or not discussed after the game. Well, you can't put a lot of reliance on it, but we will. We want to know the score. <laughs> of course, you always want to know that. That's right, but but it really doesn't. Uh, a week from now doesn't mean anything. True, and uh, the outcome really doesn't mean anything either. But uh, starting next week, you get a chance. At least the fans will get a chance to see uh, all these guys on the the same team instead of playing against each other in practice. Yeah, November one, start yeah. November with a basketball game. Yeah, then that tough road trip right out of the gate. Yep, that's going to be tough after in, in after their home opener at least and. Uh, so the two trips or two games in Arizona. I got two stats I want to throw at you for football. Okay. You ready for yeah, these two? I, I am. Okay. People wondered, I think, after the game, well, why why did Wisconsin throw a pass that was intercepted in that last series? Do you know what their last eight passes were completed? And two in that very same series. I think what happened was that Illinois was playing. So, and by the way, they completed first seven of the first eight passes in the game. They were when they did pass, they really hurt Illinois in this game. But what happened was Illinois was playing for the run, and I think at that point they realized that, you know, and I think that uh, in that case uh, that uh, they they really had that, that receiver surrounded. It wasn't just the fact that uh, right. that Adams r- reached up and got it. There were two other guys very close. And so I think that, uh, you know, that, it, that the pass was certainly the, the thing that turned the game in, in, in the end. It also, on the previous series, here's another stat that just knocks your brains out. Fifteen times opponents have fumbled this year, and Illinois recovered 12 of them. And that Taylor fumble, I mean, if he fumbled it, I mean, it doesn't mean Illinois has to recover, but they did. And they've been very fortunate in that regard this season. Twelve out of 15 fumbles by opponents. So, those two uh, numbers kind of strike in because the game turned on those two plays, the fumble by Taylor and the interception. That's what allowed Illinois to rally. Illinois has got a knack for knocking balls loose, and uh, that a slippery ball could be uh, in play today yeah, as well. Yeah, sure could. As far as uh, fumbles and actually catching the ball, some of the Illini guys, some of the receivers are out. Illinois wearing the orange-white-orange combination uh, today for this ball game, and We'll see what the weather does, if it's a factor. It's something that we've talked about with a couple of our guests, Tom Deanhart, Jay Lehman, here at um, Ross-Aid Stadium. This is natural grass. It's got very good drainage. They, they were kind of a pioneer in this field turf stuff back in the they day. Were. They've never, yeah, they've never had artificial turf here. And they've, they've never had, to my recollec- recollection, any draining issues with this uh, field. The, so The field looks terrific right now as we look down on it. Uh, and whereas it, you, the old grass fields, you used to have that barren area in the middle because that's where the ball was put in play. But this one uh, this one looks fine all the way, all over, right in the middle too. So what are you expecting? Well, I, I just, I don't know what to expect. I never know what to expect really, but I, I just think that they're going to put the ball in the air we predicted 50 times whether they'll throw 50 times in the rain. I don't know, but they're, they're going to throw an awful lot of passes. And Brahms got a system that just seems to work. And uh, they're 2-5, and five, and they're certainly due for a win. And they've beaten Illinois consistently in recent years. And so uh, you knew the number. You gave it to me yesterday. What is seven it? out of the last seven, ten. Yes, yeah, seven out of ten. Okay, well, that's, that's not good for Illinois. I mean, I think that they expect to win, and, and this is a – I'm not saying that they have that they're going to reach a bowl, but if they lose this one, they're they're two and six, so that would just about kill them. And interestingly enough, this all-time series 
This is the 95th meeting. The series is deadlocked. 44 wins apiece. There are six ties over the years, so whoever wins today takes the all-time series lead, at least for the moment. Mr. Tate, you'll be back here in a few minutes with uh, more coverage on our game day coverage. But that's going to take care of Illini Pella. Saturday Sports Talk, appreciate you listening. Thanks to Ed Bond, Blake Landa, back in Champaign. Ed Bond here in the booth with us. And I'll be back with you a little bit later on as well. We'll take a break, and Illini Game Day is up next.